Welcome in, everybody. It is Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. My name is Max Cohen of the Museum of Crypto Art. I am joined on this week's edition of the Mocha Live podcast, as I am every week, by the founder of the Museum of Crypto Art, Coborn Bell. Coborn, what's up? Hello, hello. Uh, always a pleasure. I'm excited to do this. And each week that goes by, I get more and more excited. Just give it until a year from now. When you're dreading every Wednesday. <laughs> exactly. Colborn, I got to ask you the question on everyone's mind, which is, did you watch the Super Bowl? Uh, I kind of watched the Super Bowl. Oh, it didn't. It, it, I, I, was, I was there. I was there. You were at the Super Bowl? No. No. I was, I was, it, was, it was happening. It definitely was happening. So no opinions on the call, the end of the game, nothing like that? No. Oh, I thought it was horrendous. Takes. I thought it was horrendous. Make them, you know, make them, uh, what was it, like kick a field goal and then give them like a minute and a half to go down there and win it. Yeah. You know, we do have a uh, a large audience of NFL referees who watch this podcast <laughs> and listen along. We just like to say to all the referees, we know you're doing the best you can, but just think about the circumstance at the end of the games and also, you know, the viewers at home who are uh, looking for a classic ending. Yeah, but, let's, let's let's think of one of like your um, battering ram segues, you know, so I was either going to go with it's like the NFL is either as like controlled and manipulated as the crypto art space, or mm-hmm. I was going to say like something about, uh, you know, games are silly. Let's concentrate on love. Yeah. How, how about this? How about the ending of that game was something I hate. Yeah. But today we want to talk <laughs> about some things we love. Thanks. Uh, yes. Yesterday was Valentine's Day, so we thought that uh, it'd be nice to go full on positivity on our uh, our podcast this week. Talk about some things we love, some pieces, some artists, some stories we've loved from the last year, trends we've loved, artists. I think I may have mentioned artists, but it's always worth mentioning artists we love twice. So, Colborn, the first thing I want to ask you is what was the first thing or things that made you fall in love with crypto art? Oh. Yeah, look, I mean, I, uh, you know, the very first day I was on Super Rare, that was the first platform that I was introduced to. Uh, it actually was three years and two days ago. We can thank the blockchain for that. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and now I also realized I missed some friends' birthdays, but that's not important. It was, there were three pieces that I came across uh but i'm gonna say for me it was it was really the work of max osiris Mm. that's that's where i fell in love it was psychedelic visionary art unlike anything i had seen on the internet um it was so unique so expressive so wild so free uh and i loved it I just loved it. It was, it was, it's inexplicable to speak to the connection. Um, but I, you know, over time, even just it, just to see the work, right. To, to see the work. I think these things are so expressive into people's souls. There's so much that can be read into. And I think people that really create from the heart, they pour it out onto the canvas. And for me, I just felt that I felt him. I felt myself in it. And, and that was an incredible spark. Did you come across his work on your own or did another artist show you his work or 
Yeah. Everything I did in the beginning was just on my own. I don't know if it was in the timeline. You know, the first piece I bought was a Miss Al Simpson piece. And mm. I who's to say how I got anywhere I did. Uh, but his was the second piece that I bought. Mm. And then I remember like a month, I bought it for like 20 bucks. I sold it a month later for like 80 bucks. I thought it was a genius. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I've sold like nine pieces um, ever. <laughs> and I think in selling that one, I was like, oh, no, I should never sell that. Yeah, what a wholesome story. The origins <laughs> of crypto art. 4X profit, you know. In a month, I was like, I'm out here just crushing it, bear market. 2020, well, it was funny. It's like um, they say the worst thing uh, that could possibly happen to you is winning big at the blackjack table your first time. Yeah. Because then, yeah. then you can never get up. Then you're just chasing that high forever. Right. And that was you making 60 bucks on a Max Osiris piece. Yeah. I was, uh, I was thinking about this question myself, and I was reminded of a time when we were all up in Kingston um, at the Mocha Church. And I know you were there. I know I was there. I think Untitled was there. Uh, Shivani was there. Most importantly, though, Renee, um, Renee Schmidt, our CTO, was there. Um, and the reason it's most importantly is because we were all sitting together at some German restaurant waiting for our food. And he was showing me some pieces that he'd collected just on his phone. And he showed me this piece uh, by GE1 Dute, who I will um, hitherto refer to as Gel Dute, um, because I don't actually know how to pronounce it. This Gerard Ferrandez, by the way, um, just an incredible generative artist and makes artwork that I've never seen approximated anywhere else. And the piece that Renee had showed me was um, part of Geldut's Utopia series, which is this kind of like sprawling generative landscape. It's these like shapes looking a little bit like buildings. Everything's you know black and dark, but everything's lined by these LED like lights. And in the very center is a kind of pyramid, a ziggurat of sorts with a giant beam of light coming off of it. And Renee was clicking through this piece or, you know, interacting with it you know, moving it around and zooming in and zooming out of certain sections. And it was just blew me away, right? It was the first time I think maybe I didn't fall in love with crypto art, but where I really felt that there was so much more to be explored in digital art than I had previously thought possible in visual artistry as a whole. Coming from a writer's background, I've always had a rather um, self-important idea of literature versus the other major art forms. Um, but this kind of blew me away and, um, his other works too, uh, ignition and resonance are blow me away. The detail, the um, the extreme amount of interactivity. Uh, it, you know, the, I think it's hard to show them to people because you have to kind of go from your wallet to the art block site to you know a certain rendering off the art block site, and then you can really get into them. But yeah, boy, that piece really blew me away, um, and I still, you know, I, I could collect anything that guy does. Uh, for me, like the whole generative arts thing really came out of, of left field, I think for a lot of people, like a, mm -hmm. a, an unknown uh, unlocking of demand. So I would love to, I mean, if you have a, a theory about, because, you know, it's so interesting. I, I am not this person, but I think there is a type A personality that is probably attracted to, to crypto as well, that is very... Uh, also attracted to the way like code can produce art and the way like logic and formation and, and like generally like neat and clean uh, things can be reproduced in artistic ways. 
I, I mean, we couldn't be talking about like two more different experiences, right? Yeah. Like uh, gel dupes, we'll call it. And, you know, like Max Osiris and like one incredibly messy and one like incredibly precise and defined. And it's interesting just to come at it from opposite ends of that spectrum. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I've had kind of a fascination with generative art um, from the beginning, the aspect of controlled chaos of the thing, rather than I think the unleashed chaos of like the trash artists and Max Osiris specifically, right, where you really feel the entropy on the artwork is, you know, captures that kind of like ecstatic momentary inspiration. And then you have these works where, you know, maybe the back end is even more of a like perfect demonstration of that chaos but what mm -hmm. we actually see are these you know like you said hyper precise lines and yeah i mean generative art the generative art boom has been really wonderful to see and some of my favorite artists are generative artists and i'm constantly i i, I think the thing that makes me most uh or, or gets my goat about generative art is that i don't understand it at all um <laughs> yeah sure and, and you know i'm sure we've all had the conversations um God knows I have back when I was a snot-nosed teenager and thought I knew everything about, oh, you know, Renaissance art. Now that now that's art, right? You can really understand the, the talent, the brushstrokes, the the whatever. Um, and the older I get, the more I'm less interested, or the, I guess the less I'm interested in things that I can readily understand and explain, the more interested I am in things that seem to defy my entire, you know, breadth of knowledge, limited or expansive as it may be. I'll leave that to others to decide. Yeah, you know, there was something, I, uh, well, I will stay positive, but I will say there is, in, in thinking about generative artists, the one who really caught me in the beginning, and I know caught a lot of people, and then they kind of disappeared from social media for a while, was, was Manoloide, or Manoloide. Mm. Um, I think Ar Argentinian, and just, you, you would not believe that it is generative. It's almost like mm. impossible to believe um but just like the, the shapes and the colors and the vibrancy and the aliveness and i think there's a lot of pieces there that are are super super special yeah i mean but that's like the beautiful thing about the space as a whole and one of the th reasons and this is not a segue as much as it is um a uh, a rather elegant continuation of a thought but like i love crypto art and one of the things i love about crypto art is how much mastery of various forms there just are and how um, like open and easy it is to access just this incredible outpouring of true artistic talent. I mean, it doesn't matter whose art you're looking at, right? Whether the people who've been accepted as like the upper echelon of the space or, you know, artists who are just kind of flooding in now, there's just so much talent that's so evident and so on display. And I bet if we asked 50 people, their 50 favorite generative artists, you know, most would have a different answer. It would be somebody they saw at the beginning or someone whose art blocks project really caught their imagination. But yeah, I mean, it's hard not to fall in love with, uh, I, it's hard not to fall in love with things you don't understand, but which affect you anyway. You know, there is an incredible magic to it all. And I can think of like many times where people were like, oh, they just did this, right? Or they just did this. And, uh, you know, whether it's like a certain brush or filter or whatever it, is uh i think there was almost like there's a there's a beauty to that and you know i i kind of also go back to the trash movement about 
how that really redefines like the creation cycle and how quickly you could make a statement. And it didn't matter that you were using like art breeder in, in the beginning for early AI works or uh, photo mosh for putting on filters. And it was really more about the experience of just creating and expressing. And I know just a lot of people feel so perhaps like stuck in a rut right now because they haven't really felt the freedom to create and mint um, because they feel like everything has to be selling. And that's really something that was so beautiful is that everybody felt free and there was nobody saying like, because this took five minutes to create that it's garbage. No, in fact, that was celebrated. Um, mm -hmm. And because the tools were accessible, that was, that was celebrated. Yeah. I, um, I wanted to talk about trash art too, because that was something I, I, I don't remember the exact quote that you said to me, but um, I'll paraphrase you, but you had been talking about trash art rather offhandedly. And you had mentioned its ability to capture like the emotions of a moment, like within that moment. Right. Yeah. And the artwork is less about the artwork itself and more about the context of the artwork. Right. It's like um, conceptualism brought to its like very, very most like internet, antagonized momentary um self right um the examples i i'm, th I'm thinking of and and something i wanted to mention was we have two pieces in the uh, mocha genesis collection that are almost entirely um imitative of each other that's message about digital garbage by Fani fabiano speciari and whatever uh by yurgas um, and both are you know monocolored background with some hastily drawn looks like like Microsoft paint letters that say um, Photoshop filters are not a good reason to create digital garbage. Um, and, you know, I've had the experiences as everyone's had of I'm maybe not everyone, but a lot of people in our space, I'm sure where you're trying to discuss abstract or conceptual art with people who don't really have a background in it. And, you know, I remember going to uh, MoMA um, once with my younger brother and staring in front of a, I don't know, some canvas that had like two white triangles on it. And he's like, I don't really get this. I'm like, yeah, it's hard to get without the context of the thing. Right. And I look at these two pieces by uh, Fabiano and by Yurgas, And it's like, it just speaks to the sensibility of this moment. Right. These works were deemed fit by their artists to be minted. Right. Purposefully low effort, purposefully of whatever, like literal day that was in the conversation that was happening on that day. I mean, look, that was a real battle. Like that piece was way outside of Fabiano's practice, right? That piece mm -hmm. is like a statement in a body of work, right? Mm -hmm. Because that is somebody who has like an artistic practice, an artistic career that was kind of personally offended by what was happening, saying like, this is outside of, of what artists do. This is like not particularly couth and we shouldn't be celebrating just like the creation of digital garbage. And of course that the other piece in yellow was a response to that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like let's take that, let's put like a SpongeBob meme filter on it and call it our own art. And you know, like, you know, this isn't, it's like, who is to say, right? That, that never stands the test of time is like, who is to say? There's another incredible piece by Hexiosis who, if people don't know, does these incredible geometric, uh, like tunnel expanding pieces, very meditative. And, you know, he released a, um, 
like a conceptual piece that was white with black words on it that was like crypto art or crypto art and all of these tropes about the thing like bull unicorn spaceman palm tree uh and it, it's very very funny and that that spoke really i think to the the freedom that people were feeling in just mm -hmm. being able to express themselves yeah i i think it also takes conceptual art which i in my experience has been kind of ivory towered and it has been communicated to people as something that they cannot or should not understand and it just says fuck you to all of that it completely brings it down to the level of you know trash right and i think the fact that the trash art movement is called trash art is really indicative of its values it is not meant to be you know pondered over by academics in lowly lit rooms um, with candles in front of you know an audience of um you know dissertation writers it's meant to be like experienced by people because it's not so serious after all um and i feel even now the confidence to talk about the stuff that comes from having it delivered from its academic background to you know the community itself um and i think that the, these like interplays between these very low effort pieces and being able to see them in the context of an artist's whole body of work like you were mentioning with fabiano I just think that that's so important, right? When you can, when you go to a museum, you don't get to see the entire breadth of an artist's work in front of you to know whether something stands out or um, kind of blends into a larger artistic statement made over many years or a long period of time. You can go on to Super Rare, you can go uh, to Foundation or, or Maker's Place or wherever and see an artist's body of work um, all kind of in front of each other. And you can note when something stands out, when it's you know, when it's strange or meant to make a statement, uh, that stuff is not lost uh, in the crypto art world because you can see everything kind of all put together. You know, it, it's interesting to point out because the, the, okay, right? NFT has become all about the market, right? But crypto mm -hmm. art was always about like the message. It was kind of taking the speed of cryptocurrency the, the free-flowing transmission, like the global digital access, you know, everything that we talk about, transparency, permissionless, immutability, uncensorability, right? And like baking it into that expression and letting it go. You look at, you know, generally traditional art and it's there's so much more intention because the process to create took much longer. Mm -hmm. But when you have a filter, you slap it on, you send it out and that is forever. That it, like time stamped in that moment people of course couldn't be that responsive. And that's what I enjoy about like the process of the museum is how do we respond as quickly as possible in real time to what is going on in the ground and begin to like capture and lift it up. Interesting. Um, I want to ask you about a piece of art or pieces of art that you've made. And, you know, in the context of this conversation, because you make the magic internet money series, um, where you kind of throw an abstract amount of paint on real dollar bills um, and you hand them out to friends, loved ones, people at NFT conferences, but then you also have the kind of digital equivalent of those. Um, and I think it also interestingly plays in the kind of conceptual world of value, but in a way that seems very like down to earth, um, doing it on physical dollar bills. I will shamelessly show off mine, which I keep always on my desk. It's a Colborne Bell original right there. That is true. That is true. Yeah. But I'm curious, like, you know, you, I think while you like to, or while you often set yourself apart from uh, artists themselves, 
um, I think you always talk or you often talk with some distance, you know, you're engaged in this larger conversation yourself, you know, what sparked the creation of like magic internet money and what sparked the interplay between the digital and the physical? I mean, like anything good in my life, it's always heartbreak, right? It's always like hurting and searching for an outlet of how to like express or heal or, or communicate that. And for whatever reason, uh, that symbol continues to like come up in my life and just get reinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's one, it's very accessible and simple, which I like, you know, I like to, I like to give it away for free. Um, and then there is of course, like that whole conception of, of value, you know, what is this? Can I spend it? Is it illegal? There's all these weird other <laughs> questions, but it's like, uh, really like, what is the value of that? And people keep them close. They keep them like in their wallets. They don't spend them. I like that. And I Mm -hmm. like people thinking about money differently and currency differently and value differently. And like how you can put your mark on something that is so generic and make it new and alive. Mm -hmm. Which I feel like, and I know we've given some hate to the uh, open edition meta going on, but I feel like what Robness was doing or what Robness did with the uh, right click save as guy, uh, X copies piece where he basically, which is a CCO piece to be fair, um, but he took it, right click and saved it and then reminted it and then sold it, right? And I believe it got a massive amount of um, of mints on that contract um, just as a continuation of this idea about, you know, what's value, right? Especially when I try and explain NFTs to people who aren't in them, you know, the question of, oh, you know, I could just, the the whole right-click save, you know, idea itself, I can just right-click and save it and put it as my phone background, put it as my computer background, have it, you know, printed out, put in my house. Well, it's about where it came from and it's about, you know, the context of its creation, the, what, however many hundreds or thousands of Robness recreations of right-click save as guy, even though it's exactly the same artwork like literally exactly the same artwork. Well, it's just not as valuable as the original because it doesn't have the context. It doesn't have the uh, blockchain paper trail leading back to the original artist. Uh, Just going back to trash art, it just seems that this conversation will never die, right? It seems like there's always a new something or other to say about the state of value. It's a wonderful exploration, right? For me, it's much more interesting than tokens. Um, mm. It speaks to individual identity. It speaks to all of our group identity. It speaks, it speaks to like memetics. Uh, it speaks to like the things we own defining who we are and, and what we touch and, and make ours and like the energy we impart and the energy that is shared. It's really, really, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, obviously not Robness's first foray into taking something else and just making it his own. Yeah. Well, that's what got him kicked off of Super Rare, right? You know, he stole the the 50-gallon totter from Home Depot, put it through Photomosh, and uploaded it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then the Bitcoin symbol and the Ethereum symbol, right? He did the same thing. He's done a ton of appropriation art. While we're on the topic, can you talk about what it was like as that was going down? What the conversation was like? Yeah, I mean, it was tense. You know, again, we were like a small family. And it was, Mm -hmm. it was you know, there were, there was a very clear continuum of, of decorum. Um, and, you know, I, I, I remember it just, I remember it kind of being like fun and funny. And, uh, you know, a lot of people went from wherever they were to Rarible to kind of support those artists. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really open and experimental and cool. And, you know, super rare might've felt like a place for more finished works, but I want to see all of like the spectrum, you know, I think, for example, like, you know, uh, Neurocolor minted some incredible works outside of what he was kind of known for on uh, Rarible, like hand-drawn sketches or like super quick hit glitches or like sketches of like uh, cockroach, just like incredible, incredible work. And I liked that. I liked the roughness and the rawness and like the the unpolished work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fascinating. For for those of um, you in the audience who may not have the context about what we're talking about with Robness specifically, um, he had minted an artwork called 64 Gallon Toter, uh, which was just a picture of a garbage can, like a large garbage can from a Home Depot website, threw a f- uh, photomosh filter over it and put it on Super Rare, uh, which they promptly took down. Um, I don't want to say offhandedly, copyright. paraphrasing that it was copyright violation. Yeah, copyright violation. And then he did it again with uh, a Bitcoin symbol and an Ethereum symbol. And they took those down because it wasn't, you know, original art. And, you know, every time you poke the bear of this is an art, it's going to provoke a response. The fact that trash art is still going on and now spam art has um, launched almost off of that ideology is testament to that. Yeah. Shout out Jay DeLay for sure. Jay DeLay, brilliant, brilliant thinker, teacher. Um also incredible creator uh what was i gonna say ah like when when lamborghini came into the space in dmca'd you know do you know how bad that look was like everybody Mm -hmm. just turned that against lamborghini um actual lamborghini right like the actual company the actual company you know and of course there's there's a ton of crypto art influenced off of lambo whatever um Mm -hmm. so i know like big comic art and sinclair and a lot of other people were going through it. And I'm like, look, they're, they're not going to, to sue you, mm-hmm. right? Imagine. And if they do, frankly, you like want them to. I remember Max Osiris got like DMCA'd by the Basquiat estate. And he took the letter and drew like a shitty cartoon mouse on top of it. And it was hilarious. Um, so, th- I mean, that's the stuff that kind of gets me off. Sure. I'm wondering, just to switch things up a little bit, uh, if there was a time or when there was a time that you really felt love from the crypto art community. Um, you're, it's well yeah, documented that you give a lot of love back. So I'm curious when that was reciprocated. Like me personally, or just like a moment? I mean, I'll say uh, after you know that third-party Mocha token hack of whatever mm-hmm. the the token supply provider was, that was brutal. That was probably one of the worst days of my life as far mm-hmm. as just like, but I'm telling you, like not a single person complained about price and everybody was so, so supportive and like understanding and just wanted to do whatever it took to see the project succeed. That was, that was really special. That's just one of those things when you realize that it's way bigger than any one person. It's just, how we like care and move forward and look after each other. That was, that was cool. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of um, what you have spoken about a lot and about what Robness has spoken about a lot, which is in, you know, this original crypto art family and especially those who have been there for each other, right? Like there was so much artist 
artistry supporting artistry, you know, in a time before there was a lot of collectors, it was a lot of artists who were buying each other's work and forging these connections. And like you said, it was just a small little family at the beginning, right? Um, that kind of reciprocity. Yeah, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, it feels like, it, like a, it felt like a massive reaction to like individualism and hypercapitalism, right? How these systems really like push and pull on individuals to have to do it all for themselves. And we're really not that way as humans, right? We are socially connected beings that want to feel like we exist in community. Uh, and we like lost, we've been losing that, like the idea of a third place, whether it's a church, barbershop, whatever, a congregation place, especially in America. And then with COVID, we lost the second place, which was like a workplace, right? Mm -hmm. So all of these things that begin to socialize and bring people together and make them feel connected we lost that. So like finding each other in those moments and building up was such a wonderful um, and like loving feeling to what was feeling like a, a pretty cold world. Yeah. And, and honestly, this is why I'm so, I continue to be so bullish about like the metaverse, even though it has kind of been forgotten by the mainstream um, media narrative or just kind of poo pooed away. Um, I was showing my dad yesterday uh, Mocha rooms and our newest exhibition with making it, um, you know, in the space and being able to walk around the space and see these artworks on the walls of a real space. And he was like, wow, this is, this is really something. And I said, okay, but imagine this in VR where it feels realistic and there are other people around and you're talking to them and you're interacting with them. Right. That third space, like you said, on demand. Um, and I think it's just, I, I can't get the idea out of my head. And even when it's kind of, you know, like I said, poo-pooed by masses of uh, my peers, the, the, that underlying familial aspect of finding a congregation place seems so important now more than ever. I mean, some of those early experiences in VR and Somnium space, I remember like walking around with Fawocious and like flying off a mountain. We watched like the sunrise over a lake that it felt so real and it was so enjoyable. And that was an experience that we had like, you know, all the way across the States from, I think they were in Nevada at the time and I was in New York, but you know, we run into each other. We still talk about that. Hmm. So it's, I mean, the digital experience is just better. I don't, I don't know what to say. It's more enjoyable. <laughs> I mean, it, I, you know, I can think of, yeah, the, I mean, the least communal community space is the art museum, right? You ever have a nice interaction with another person at an art museum? No fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's not meant for that. But there is like, again, there is just like a freedom to, you know, that's kind of why it was like super funny when Zuckerberg was talking about like having like a zone of like a bubble where people couldn't interact each other. I remember going into VR chat when I first got VR and like there was a group of kids playing. Um, they were calling it COVID tag. So they would like run up to you. They'd cough on you. They'd cough into their microphone and, go, <laughs> and then they'd touch you. And they'd be like, you have COVID. Now you're it. And I thought it was just like the, the funniest, funniest thing in the world. Yeah. But like that, those kinds of experiences are things that I think that you and I have had that are, have not been accessible to 
very many people at all. And I remember being in the church and you, it was the first time I was able to visit the museum itself, the Mocha Museum, insomnium space through VR goggles. And it was an entirely new experience. And, you know, you weren't in the world with me, but you were physically beside me. And I'm telling you what I'm seeing and you're commenting on what I was seeing. And it was a communal experience, even though for all intents and purposes, we were in two different spaces, right? Like there's just such value in that. And uh, especially when I think about how we experience crypto art through Twitter, which is so solitary, right? Um, it's so solitary and it's like achingly solitary. You know, you it's don't know where to really jump into a conversation. Down. Yeah, it's really, really yeah. breaking down. Yeah, we've, it seems like we've hit the limit of how interesting, how interested we can be in art when it's so segmented and we're not able to experience it alongside each other. I think that's why we rely on things like, you know, this podcast or the stream or Twitter spaces or um, discord chats or places where people can just have any semblance of a real time conversation as opposed to this very fragmented, you know, I'm seeing a comment that someone made and then there's another comment that someone made and I don't really know the timeline in between those. It's not a conversation. It's more like a call and response over. It's like, chasm. it's totally broken, right? Because there is no actual connection to reality because so much of it is bot driven. Right. Mm -hmm. I was, I don't know if I was telling you, but there's, you know, like a well-known influencer left a heart emoji under something that we posted like two months ago. It has two likes, but like every day it gets two more retweets from a bot. So it's like two <laughs> likes and like 137 retweets. And I'm like, okay, well, this person is like obviously paying for their stuff to, you know, get promoted and pushed. And it's just like not fair because again, there's those that have the system and those that don't. And the people that have the system generally use it for sales and marketing. So mm -hmm. what is this? This is just like the next evolution of sales and marketing, but we're staying positive. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I wanted yeah. to, I wanted to talk about, you know, how do we get back to this space? Like it was originally conceived where it was one of love and community over this kind of, you know, competitiveness um, that I think has been born out of the segmentation. I'm curious if you have any offhand thoughts about that or. Um, well, I will say, you know, what has been nice is, is like over these years, meeting people, learning about people and figuring out who actually gives a damn and coming back in this market and finding ways to collaborate and work together. Mm -hmm. um, I think everybody knows like the forces that are against us, but the market needs to die so that new things can be born and new people can come together and like things can grow and solidify. It was so nascent that everybody was like people that are attracted to new things are generally of course like visionary in their own rights you know yeah. so they create all this value in the beginning and then all of these profiteering people come on top and and just like learn how to talk about it in the way that the actually i think like intelligent hardworking, decent people do and then they just use the systems that they already have in place to market and sell it mm -hmm. um so it has to return to that stage again where people that actually care and want to see this thing like succeed or having intellectual discussions about how to advance it. And it has to be intentional and not so fervent and, and kind of like laden with all this crazy bull market stuff. Which I feel like is something that you see or that I've seen at like NFT NYC last year, uh, for instance, and I didn't go to the conference, but all these kind of satellite events and, you know, 
oh, we're going to get tacos and I'm meeting Art Gnome for the first time. And it's just this, you know, there's all these artists around us and it's just talking about his experience, my experience, our experience, the space's experience, right? And you're constantly moving from space to space of all these people who you're realizing are all around you. They're all interested in the same thing. We're all wishing for the same thing. We're all, you know, everyone, I think, even from the top down, even those who are, you know, hyper successful with this model, barring a few uh, examples, I think are looking to get back to something that is more familial, more community driven, more collaboration based. As a- I mean, let's, let's think about this vision that you have and how do we actually get there? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, art is, is a, art is unfortunately probably like the most abundant commodity in that equation. Right. It's probably the easiest to create a JPEG, but how do we get, like people that are actually building free and open metaverse worlds. How do we get people that are going to be building these integrations? Like what is the crossover between like sophisticated developers, engineers that actually give a damn about like online culture and want to bring VR opportunities and this connection to the masses. It's not, it's, it's a tiny, tiny pool of people. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know they're out there like finding each other. Who are the architects that want to design buildings? Who, you know, what is like each step of that layer uh, and who is undertaking that work? And if you are an architect who would like to design a building, uh, <laughs> we have our Mocha Room design applications open. So please uh, get in contact with yeah, one of us. Or, DMs. Um, but I, I think this is why I have such a fascination, a continued fascination with artist collectives. Um, where I, I feel like I mentioned making it 24 seven every week and I'm writing about them uh, for an article coming out next week and we're exhibiting them um, in our newest you know, exhibition, Children of the Internet. But this spirit of collaboration and community and the more I learn about this group specifically, right? It's very organic. It's very disorganized for better and for worse. It's very, you know, it's not ba- every drop that they've had because they do drops, I think somewhat monthly has a different amount of artists releasing work and that all those works sell out in 24 hours because the artists who don't sell while well, their peers are buying. And it seems like it takes away this idea of sales as a zero sum game or something that can only benefit one person at a time. Um, and I really just love that, that spirit. People are finding their nodes, right? Mm-hmm. And the way all the nodes communicate and relate to each other is that's the coolest thing in the world. You know, but it's way easier for something like Mocha, which embodies maybe like 20 people internally and like thousands of people externally to communicate with an organization like making it 24 seven, which embodies like 30, 40 artists um, mm. and have some sort of value discussion there. And, and that is like how scale gets built. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage everybody to begin to like find the people, the communities, the values that speak to you. And during this period, we really lift those up and then facilitate dialogues between those nodes. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, we hear all the time, you know, oh, keep our heads down and build, right? Everything's going to, the world is going to, you know, spin madly on. You got to just keep your head down and build. And that doesn't just mean building software. It doesn't just mean building applications. It means building networks and communities and collaborations and finding these really unique and creative ways to you know, show support and show compassion and show community. Uh, I think that that continues to be why people flood into this space, why people stick around in this space, what attracts people to this space, why people want to build whatever they're building in this space because of that spirit of, 
of community that once you get a little taste of, right, you know, yeah. not just some chat room, but this real kind of three-dimensional seeming uh, communities that are built here of interests and personalities and, you know, un, like de-geographied, de that's not a word, but like sans geography. <laughs> yeah, without place. Like, I think that that's really appealing and it's really attractive and it's almost addicting. You know, I think that's why so many people who have been here for a while are very staunch and that they'll see it through any, uh, any downturns, any winters, any negative trends. Cause you don't have that elsewhere. Right. I mean, the people are good. The people are great. The people are why I come back, mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't know where else to go. I have not found this like in, incredibly like free thinking interesting um progressive like that just one good for people um and other people that is that's why i come back every day yeah i mean absolutely and i have to say like perhaps a bit selfishly but you know i've been writing for a long time i've been you know writing every day for 10 years and it wasn't until i came to the space and started releasing work in the space that people started to say nice things about me and you know uh like Mr. Richie, for example, is constantly, you know, uh, who I've never met. I love his work. Super I got to nice meet dude. Mr. Richie. Mr. Richie's cool. Yeah, seems like an yeah. awesome dude. And he like comments my name on posts that people I've never heard of are saying, you know, who's the best, you know, I'm making a list of all the writers in the space. And like those little outpourings of support and those, like, that's something I've never gotten elsewhere. You know, I have a million short stories that have never been published that are sitting on my hard drive and a million blog posts that are just gone to the internet ether. And it seems like you put a foot down here and people, people flock to it. I mean, not every foot, um, you know, gnarled, hangnailed, maybe not, but um, <laughs> I, I, genuine, I, genuine love and respect and care. It, it is appreciated because it's so rare. Right. And it's here, though. It really is here. It's here. It's here. And people appreciate it. And that's why people are here. Right. Because mm -hmm. of because of that honesty. Um, and that's, you know, it's not about like, again, I, my problems with bubblegum positivity are <laughs> are deep, but it's, it's about honesty and it's about like being truthful of the situation and, and letting people know that they're like, it's always been about that, that they are like seen, they're heard, they're respected and that their creation is valid. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the only thing bidding on an artwork ever did. Right. It didn't matter who held it. It was just like to know that like, you know, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we see you and you're valid. Mm -hmm. Um Oh, it reminds me of that, that, that old maxim, and I uh, apologize if this offends you, know, you and your birthplace, but what they say about the East Coast versus the West Coast is that the East Coast is uh, kind, but it's not nice, and the West Coast is nice, yeah. but it's not kind. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, I feel that all the time as I walk through New York and people are just, you know, they're not smiling at you just across the street, but they might hold the door open for you. And there's um, a reason why I'm here. Yeah, absolutely. Even all the way in the uh, snowy reaches of upstate New York, outside of the city, <laughs> and, not, and not in California, man. That place is that place is tough. And the people that, but I, but I think it explains a lot why you and I have to make a conscious effort not to devolve into negativity, because um, it's not the word naysayers or not the word um, pessimists. Because I don't think that explains or that describes either of us at all. 
but it's hard to see some of the most beautiful people and, and aspects of the space and, and experience that and know how it feels to be a part of that. And then also see, you know, such transparent financial pandering at times, such laziness, such um, manipulation elsewhere to the detriment of this beautiful thing that I think has really affected both of us in profound ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, first for whatever reason it works again and again mm-hmm. um and you know i saw it once in 2017 I've, I've seen it again here i'm sure it's happening in marketplaces all the time there there is a a roaming band of grifters that just moves from thing to thing and i'm sure i'm sure that is nothing new in human history sure well let me uh let me finish up here i want to throw a lightning round at you Sure. All right. So first of all, just top of your head, artist you love. Any artist that I love? Yeah, any artist. Yeah, who, I don't know. Max Osiris. All right. Just leaning back in an old favorite, I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, my, my brain. <laughs> an artist that I love. I mean, you know, I, I uh, you know, in front of me, I have like a, a Dimitri Cherniak work. I have this die with the most likes work. I have a Kenny mm. Schachter piece. Uh, I have something from Andre Zegelbaum, Matt Kane, uh, and Solange. That's like what is in my, yeah. All right, what about an artwork you love? Any artwork? <laughs> I get these questions all the time and I hate them so much. Um, yeah, the first one that came to my mind, oddly, is uh, Jason Ebayer. Mm-hmm. You know that? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A, a 3D sculpture that I picked up on secondary market of one of his uh, nude female figures. Gorgeous. Yeah, I love which Jason. Also Lincoln. reminds me of a frenetic voids Cosair, which was was one of the most. It was at, when I saw it, it was the most beautiful piece I had ever seen in VR. Mm. And to this day, I I. I swore up and down that that was going to be the first piece to sell for a million dollars. It's fantastic. Fair Cosair. enough. Yeah, go check Cosair. it out. Yeah. And uh, finally, what's a trend you love that you're seeing right now? You got to pick something. No negativity. I know. I'm, I'm such a critic. Um... I love the way people are continuing. This is going to be a bit of a bailout, but the way that people are continuing to, the way that AI is pushing the limits of digital abundance, who can Mm -hmm. be creators and what we're creating, and then how we begin to like pull some of that out of the morass and begin to call it art. I just find that that is going to be a fascinating and interesting conversation for society to try and wrap their noodle around for the next like five, 10, 15, 20 years, five, 10, 15,000 years, maybe. Right. You know, until, until our AI overlords overthrow us. Mm-hmm. Who we love, by the way, we love our AI overlords. I'm, I'm and, a super good data generator. And I just like to smile. <laughs> um, all right. Colborn, most importantly, the Celtics play the Pistons tonight. Jason Tatum's back in the lineup. Marcus Smart's back in the lineup. Who you got? Are the Pistons any good at all? I feel like they haven't been good ever. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they're <laughs> they're very early bad. 2000. Yeah, they're so bad. I got the Celtics, baby. 
That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I'll say I'll be out in Paris next week for NFT Paris. If anybody's out there, shoot me a line, want to connect. I'll be there 22nd to 26th. Would love to just meet some new faces and people that give a damn and love art. Yeah. I'll be in Brooklyn thinking about Paris. So if you have pretty pictures of the Eiffel Tower or the Seine, you can send those over to me directly on Twitter or Discord. <laughs> we'll, uh, everybody that meets me, we'll take a selfie and we'll send it to Max. Just break my heart a little bit as you uplift me. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for uh, coming to our Mocha Live podcast stream for this week. We will be back next week with ace photographer and crypto art legend Giselle Flores. We're very excited to talk to her. Um, so stay tuned, and we'll see you here next week. Thanks so much for coming along. Peace and love. Deuces.